Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. Imagine you're stranded on a barren rock in the middle of the ocean, nothing in sight but the endless sea, and you've got a basket of apples, nothing else. It's a huge basket, a thousand apples. There are various things you could do. You could allow yourself a few apples a day and try to make them last. You could work on creating a patch of soil where apple seeds could be planted. You could work on starting a fire in order to have some cooked apples for a change. You could think of other ideas. You'd have plenty of time. But what if you were to take 600 of your 1,000 apples and throw them as hard as you could into the water one by one in hopes of hitting a shark or scaring all the sharks of the world so that they wouldn't come near your island? And what if a voice in the back of your head were to whisper to you, Psst, hey, buddy, you're losing your mind. You're not scaring sharks. You're more likely to attract some monster than to get a message out to all the monsters in the world, and you're going to starve soon at this rate. And what if you were to shout back at that little voice in your head, Shut up! You naive idealist, socialist, Putin-loving traitor, I'm funding the entire island's Department of Defense, and I'm not sure 600 apples is enough. Well, clearly you would be crazy and self-destructive and likely to starve sooner rather than later. Most people aren't that crazy. As Nietzsche remarked, insanity is unusual in individuals, but in societies, it is the norm. And that includes U.S. society, where the U.S. Congress takes roughly 60% of what it's got to work with and dumps it into something so loony that no fiction writer would get it past an editor. It builds weapons that, if used, would destroy all of humanity, and then it builds more of them, over and over again, as if humanity will be around to use them after having been destroyed. It builds lesser weapons that only destroy bits of the earth at a time, but it sells them to dozens of other countries all over the earth so that when it's using its own weapons, it's usually using them against weapons it built and sold. It even gives them away to some of the most brutal governments around. It gives training and even just cash to many of the most oppressive regimes there are and gives more weapons to its own local domestic police forces and trains them to treat its own population as a war enemy. It builds robot airplanes that can blow people up, uses them to create bloody chaos and bitter resentment, and then makes sure everybody else has them too. This war madness is based on supposedly defending oneself against enemies no more real than those sharks on that island. But in the process, the U.S. government creates small-scale blowback and some serious arms races, including the proliferation of nuclear weapons. These activities take a heavy toll on the planet and its climate, air, and water. They justify secrecy and destroy government transparency, making anything resembling self-governance impossible. They fuel and are fueled by all the worst tendencies in people, hatred, bigotry, violence, vengeance, and they leave little in the way of resources for everything actually needed for survival, conversion to sustainable practices, development of decent systems of governance. And when you ask, why can't we have clean energy or health care, they shout at you every time, how are you gonna pay for it? Increasingly, some people are beginning to give the right answer. I'm going to take a few damn apples away from the military. To be sure, some people follow up that right answer with unhelpful comments like, the military will still have enough to keep us safe, or we can get rid of the weapons that don't work, or... We can end one of these wars and prepare for a better one. 
These are the people who only want to throw 400 apples at the imaginary sharks and throw them properly and make sure every demographic group gets a proper share of the throws. Remarkably, there's a resolution now in the House of Representatives to move 350 of the apples out of the grasp of the lunatics. A very reasonable proposal. And there are amendments to the big annual military bill in both houses with votes expected soon to move just 10% of the Pentagon's money to human and environmental needs. Surely if we can recognize that states and localities dumping 10% of their budgets into police and prisons is a disaster, we can recognize that the federal government dumping over half of its money into war is too. And I know that $6.4 trillion sounds like a lot of money, but don't believe any of these studies that tell you that some fraction of military spending plus other resulting costs is the price of 20 years of war. Military spending is for nothing but wars and preparations for more wars, and it's well over $1 trillion a year in the United States, over $700 billion of that in the Pentagon. If you were to take 10% away from the Pentagon, what would you take it from exactly? Well, simply ending the war on Afghanistan that candidate Donald Trump promised to end four years ago would save most of that $74 billion. Or you could save almost $69 billion by eliminating the off-the-books slush fund known as the Overseas Contingency Operations Account because the word wars didn't test as well in focus groups. There's $150 billion per year in overseas bases, why not cut that in half? Why not eliminate all the bases that no Congress member can name, just for a start? Where could the money go? It could have a major impact on the United States or the world. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, as of 2016, it would take $69.4 billion per year to lift all U.S. families with children up to the poverty line. According to the United Nations, $30 billion per year could end starvation on Earth and about $11 billion could provide the world, including the United States, with clean drinking water. Does knowing those figures, even if they're slightly or wildly off, throw any doubt on the idea that spending a trillion dollars on weapons and troops is a security measure? Some 95% of suicide terrorist attacks are directed against foreign military occupations, while 0% are motivated by anger over the provision of food or clean water. Are there perhaps things a country can do to protect itself that don't involve weapons? Let me suggest visiting two places. One is rootsaction.org where you can send an email to your senators and misrepresentative with one easy click. The other is worldbeyondwar.org, where you can study the case for abolishing the entire institution of war, a campaign critical and central to the movement against racism, that for environment, that for democracy, and all campaigns for useful spending of resources. I hate to say this, I'd love to be more polite, but when we're dealing with survival, that takes precedence. It's time to start treating war funders as of questionable sanity and morality. It's time to recreate shame in war profiteering. It's time to divest from military contractors, convert military industries, and gently escort anyone who votes against cutting the U.S. military budget by 10% out of the halls of Congress and into the nearest padded cell.
Now, Congress is a tough nuthouse to crack, but steps can be taken at the local level as well. By unanimous vote, the City Council of Charlottesville, Virginia, on Monday evening, July 20th, voted to ban militarized policing. Specifically, the City Council resolved that, quote, the Charlottesville Police Department shall not acquire weaponry from the United States Armed Forces and shall not receive military-style or warrior training by the United States Armed Forces, a foreign military or police, or any private company, end quote. The wording of the resolution came directly from a petition I had drafted and gathered over a thousand signatures on. During the meeting, members of the public objected that the wording needed to be stronger, specifically that the police department should not be allowed to acquire military weaponry from anywhere, not just from the U.S. military, and that the police department should end its policy of giving preference in hiring to former members of the military, thus acquiring police officers with military training, despite the, the ban on military training. A number of city council members said that such concerns would be addressed in the weeks and months ahead, that Monday's action was, quote, intended to be a beginning, in the words of city council member Cena McGill, and, quote, not the end of the discussion, in the words of city council member Lloyd Snook. In my view, this step is an excellent beginning, and the conversations now happening may generate further progress. It is to be hoped that even what Charlottesville has already done will inspire other localities to take similar initial steps toward demilitarization. For the resolution as passed, see pages 75 to 76 of the packet for Monday's meeting, which can be found on the Charlottesville City Council website. Please try this at home. You can do this in your city or town or county or province anywhere on earth. Contact World Beyond War at worldbeyondwar.org. Work with us to organize a local group and draft a plan for online petitioning, event organizing, media outreach, and persuading local officials. This is not difficult, but does make a difference. If you have a little time to make a difference, please do this and please get started now while there's major media attention to the matter. Then, of course, we have to move local and state governments to block the federal government from the Gestapo tactics it's been using in Portland, Oregon. Speaking of fascism, a bill in Congress, H.R. 7183, with bipartisan support, would require post offices and various government buildings to fly from September 11th to September 30th every year, a flag that includes the Pentagon. While war monuments are being toppled, a war flag is being raised. Of course, efforts will be made to give this gore-soaked death flag a non-idiotic, non-dishonest, non-warmongering meaning. Unfortunately for that cause, the flag comes from a foundation that has got schools in some parts of Virginia teaching an expanded version of its flag worship curriculum. Should the United States make this monstrosity its official flag for 20 days a year, that curriculum will gain a major boost in prestige and respectability. Will people be able to stop their school boards around the United States from implementing it merely because it's packed with ridiculous lies and leads to mass slaughter? In this curriculum, kids are given a chance to quote, get to touch the steel from the World Trade Center and to answer the question, why is the object more than just an object? Terrorism 
in this curriculum arises out of nowhere, has no origin or explanation, and is committed by, quote, Arab terrorists from the Middle East who devised the, quote, worst attack ever on American land, with zero mention of the genocide of Native Americans or the current Trump pandemic or any other horror. Quote, President Bush told Afghanistan's rulers, the Taliban, there would be war if they did not give bin Laden to the United States. The Taliban did not listen. End quote. Those bad children should have listened. There is no mention of the fact that the U.S. government repeatedly turned down offers to hand bin Laden over to a third nation to be put on trial, preferring instead a war that would go on for almost 19 years so far. But the war on Afghanistan ends as a topic in 2004 with, quote, freedom having been brought there. Then we learn that the Persian Gulf War created, quote, freedom in Kuwait, and that Iraq's dictator refused to say what had become of, quote, weapons of mass destruction, which compelled Bush to attack him. And, quote, the United States helped to rebuild the country's schools, roads, hospitals, and oil fields, end quote. Also, Iraq was given freedom, and that was that. No death, no bloodshed, no suffering, nothing to mourn or enshrine or worship. The odd note in this predictable propaganda is that it states at the top, quote, terrorism has been a very big problem since 2000, end quote. Hmm, how then is the war on terrorism working out? Before the U.S. military masquerading as a government adopts a new war flag, its current flag is a war flag, too. It should spend a few moments with a sampling of the kids who've already been subjected to freedom indoctrination just to answer that important question from George W. Bush. Is our children learning? Here are a few questions that might be asked of such students. Where is the United States currently at war? How many people have been killed by the war on terrorism? Has all that killing made anyone feel terrorized? Have you come into contact with the understanding that, quote, if the CIA had not spent over a billion dollars arming Islamist militants in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War, empowering jihadist godfathers like Ayman al-Zawahiri and Osama bin Laden in the process, the 9-11 attacks would have almost certainly not taken place. Are you familiar with the U.S. plans for war on Afghanistan that predated September 11, 2001? Have you seen the predictable excuses that bin Laden gave for his murderous crimes? They each involve revenge for other crimes committed by the U.S. military. Are you aware that war is a crime under, among other laws, the United Nations Charter? Are you aware that Al-Qaeda planned September 11th in numerous nations and U.S. states that, unlike Afghanistan, the United States has thus far chosen not to bomb? Are you familiar with the gross failures of the CIA and FBI leading up to 9-11, but also with the warnings they gave to the White House that went unheeded? Are you aware of the evidence of the role played by Saudi Arabia, close U.S. ally, oil dealer, weapons customer, and partner in the war on Yemen? What is hidden by claiming that 9-11 was the work of terrorists, quote, from the Middle East? Did you know that British Prime Minister Tony Blair agreed to the future war on Iraq as long as Afghanistan were attacked first? Are you aware that the Taliban had practically eradicated opium prior to the war, but that the war made opium one of the Taliban's top two sources of funding, the other being, according to an investigation by the U.S. Congress, the U.S. military? Have more people gotten upset about the U.S. military funding its own enemies or about baseless claims accusing Russia of doing so? 
What could cause such a response? Are you aware that the war on Afghanistan has killed huge numbers of people, devastated the natural environment, and left the society very vulnerable to coronavirus? Are you aware that the International Criminal Court is investigating the overwhelming evidence of horrendous atrocities by all sides during the war on Afghanistan? Have you noticed the habit of just retired U.S. military officials admitting that much of what they've been doing is counterproductive? Here are just a few examples in case you've missed any of them. U.S. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who quit as head of the Pentagon's Defense Intelligence Agency in August 2014. Quote, the more weapons we give, the more bombs we drop. That just fuels the conflict. Former CIA bin Laden unit chief Michael Schurer, who says the more the United States fights terrorism, the more it creates terrorism. The CIA which finds its own drone program, quote, counterproductive. Admiral Dennis Blair, the former director of national intelligence, while, quote, drone attacks did help reduce the, uh, the Qaeda leadership in Pakistan, he wrote, they also increased hatred of America. General James E. Cartwright, former vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, quote, we're seeing that blowback. If you're trying to kill your way to a solution, no matter how precise you are, you're going to upset people even if they're not targeted. Sherard Cowper Coles, former UK special representative to Afghanistan, quote, for every dead Pashtun warrior, there will be 10 pledged to revenge. Matthew Ho, former Marine officer Iraq, former U.S. Embassy officer Iraq and Afghanistan, quote, I believe it's the escalation of the war, military action, only going to fuel the insurgency. It's only going to reinforce claims by our enemies that we are an occupying power because we are an occupying power, and that will only fuel the insurgency, and that will only cause more people to fight us or those fighting us already to continue to fight us. General Stanley McChrystal, for every innocent person you kill, you create 10 new enemies. Lieutenant Colonel John W. Nicholson, Jr., this commander of the war in Afghanistan blurted out his opposition to what he'd been doing on his last day of doing it. Did you know that terrorism predictably increased from 2001 through 2014, principally as a predictable result of the war on terrorism. Again, are you aware that 95% of all suicide terrorist attacks are indefensible crimes conducted to encourage foreign occupiers to leave the terrorists' home country? Did you know that on March 11, 2004, Al-Qaeda bombs killed 191 people in Madrid, Spain, just before an election in which one party was campaigning against Spain's participation in the U.S.-led war on Iraq? The people of Spain voted the socialists into power and they removed all Spanish troops from Iraq by May. There were no more bombs in Spain. This history stands in strong contrast to that of Britain, the United States, and other nations that have responded to blowback with more war generally producing more blowback. Are you aware of the suffering and death that polio used to cause and still causes and how hard many have worked for years to come very close to eradicating it and what a dramatic setback these efforts were handed when the CIA pretended to be vaccinating people in Pakistan while actually trying to find bin Laden? Did you know that it isn't legal in Pakistan or anywhere else to kidnap or to murder? 
Have you ever paused and listened to whistleblowers about their regrets? People like Jeffrey Sterling have some eye-opening stories to tell. So does Sean Westmoreland. So does Lisa Ling. So do many others. Were you aware that much of what we think about drones is fictional? Are you familiar with the dominant role the U.S. plays in weapons dealing and war, that it's responsible for some 80% of international arms dealing, 90% of foreign military bases, 50% of military spending, or that the U.S. military arms, trains, and funds the militaries of 96% of the most oppressive governments on earth? Did you know that 3% of U.S. military spending could end starvation on Earth. Do you really believe, when you stop to consider it, that the current priorities of the U.S. government serve to counter terrorism rather than to fuel it? Have you ever asked any visitors to the United States what they make of the incredible presence of flags and of the Pledge of Allegiance? Have you asked any visitors from nations that experienced fascism? Not only do we need to seek out information that is hidden, we also need to resist so-called information that is plastered all over the media. The New York Times claims that Russia offered to pay Afghans to kill U.S. and allied troops. It does not claim that any payments were made. It does not claim that any troops were killed. It does not claim that any impact was had on anything. It does not name its sources. It does not offer any evidence other than the supposed assertions of nameless governments government officials. It does not offer any justification for not naming them. It does not provide the context for all the years the U.S. government spent arming and funding Afghans to kill Russians, nor all the more recent years during which the U.S. military has been both the enemy of the Taliban and its top funding source, or at least second to opium. It promotes the ridiculous and debunked Russiagate notion that Trump is too kind to Russia. But is it true? Well, anything's possible. Trump has denied millions of true statements. Russia has killed many people. But we do know that much of what's going on here is not true. One of the authors of the New York Times article, Charlie Savage, has been tweeting links to other media outlets that supposedly confirm his report. Quote, reports that a Russian intelligence unit paid Taliban fighters to kill coalition troops in Afghanistan are true, he claims. But the links don't add much or do what Savage says they do. ABC News claims without proof that an unnamed person says Russia offered money, then adds, quote, There's no way to really confirm if it actually worked, the military official who's not authorized to speak on the record about such matters told ABC News. Sky News claims without any evidence that Russia paid, not offered, but actually paid for killings. As Caitlin Johnstone has noted, various sources cited by Savage, the Washington Post and Wall Street Journal, cite only unnamed people, so we have no way of knowing whether they are the same unnamed people or different ones. And the same articles actually preface their claims with the words, if confirmed which hardly amounts to a confirmation. The fact that Sky News cites unnamed British officials has generated claims on social media that all the countries of the world are confirming the New York Times story, a line familiar from the wars of the past 20 years, the first failing of which is the fact that there are more than two or three nations in the world. There's a great volume of reporting on who supposedly told whom what when within the Trump White House, some of which could be true, but none of which is accompanied by any evidence and all of which avoids the apparently hard-to-grasp fact that people can and have told Trump things that weren't actually true. 
The U.S. government pays its own troops and mercenaries to kill people all the time, constantly, nonstop. The U.S. president brags about taking steps that ensure more U.S. people will die of COVID-19. The Russian government pays its troops and mercenaries to kill. Every nation with a military pays people to commit murder, and it's evil, always. Why did someone decide that they could make a big story, in particular, out of Russia supposedly paying Afghans to kill U.S. troops and their sidekicks? clearly because the U.S. media has spent years demonizing and lying about Russia and ludicrously persuading the U.S. public that Donald Trump is a servant of Russia. Who benefits? Democrats, Joe Biden, weapons dealers, media oligarchs. Who suffers? The victims of military spending, which is so badly needed for better things, and the victims of possible future wars and continued endless wars. The war in Afghanistan is more likely to continue. The Congress is less likely to move money from militarism to human needs. Weapons corporations are more likely to dump even more money into Joe Biden. The world is more likely to suffer the horrific direct and indirect consequences of yet more wars, and we're all more likely to have our last thought in life be, so that's a nuclear explosion. Here's my advice on how we need to be talking. Good morning. Would you mind staying a safe distance away? Hi, nice mask. Could you please wear it on your face instead of your chin? Helping people reduce the risk of spreading a deadly disease requires being willing to offend them. And as they long for a return to normalcy, you should be preparing to be a lot more offensive. That sounds delicious. Does it have any dead animals in it? How's it going? Could you please not carry a gun around here? These are comments of the same sort as put your mask on, in that they are aimed at helping the people you're confronting survive, whether they like it or not. The methane and other destruction and pollution of livestock will kill them, not just you. The guns increase the risk of gun death for everyone, especially gun owners. But if you want to really get out of step, if you want to offend in the way actually needed, if you want to truly serve everyone's interests, whether they will stand for it or not, then you have to disrupt protest and change public policy. Good afternoon, Mr. Mayor. All of these people will gladly get off your lawn and plant it with wildflowers when you support divestment from oil producers and weapons dealers. Nice offices, Congress members. You can enter them as soon as you agree to end fossil fuel subsidies and shift $400 billion a year from wars to a Green New Deal. No, sir, I do understand that you're just trying to get to your job manufacturing nuclear weapons, but we're just trying to give your children a chance to live. These, too, are acts of kindness toward those disrupted and inconvenienced and pressured to change their ways, and they'll hate you for it. But that doesn't mean you need to forget that you're being kind to them. That doesn't mean you need to become hateful or start wishing them harm or making jokes about natural selection taking care of the non-mask wearers, a comment easily as cruel and ignorant as not wearing a mask. The essence of nonviolent activism is helping people who do not want to be helped. Far from hating them, it requires actually listening to them. Sometimes some of them will know something that you don't know. Acting on the best information, whether popular or not, requires constantly searching for better information. But it does not require inaction or politeness that permits injustice and destruction to continue. That looks like a really nice Bible you're thumping, but outgrowing childish ancient myths would give us a better chance at survival in the times ahead. 
I'm aware there's an even worse political party than yours, but we need changes neither of those parties will stand for unless you help us challenge both of them. These are fighting words. These are courting hatred, violence, ostracism, and mockery. But they're not doing so intentionally. They're doing so out of independent reliance on facts and out of caring for the interests of others as you best understand them. For better or worse, we're all in the same boat. Making fun of the jackasses drilling holes in their end of the boat isn't a recipe for survival. Asking boat patch haters to start patching up the holes is. One approach is easier and less confrontational. The other is actually kinder. Perhaps someday someone may recognize that you were being kind to them, but I wouldn't count on it. It certainly isn't the point. Nor is getting such recognition from their great-grandchildren the point. The existence of their great-grandchildren is the point. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.